Don't touch that phone. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network, and there's no escape. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Strong themes and coarse language may apply. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. They say that fate is a funny thing, but they're usually not laughing when they say it. More often than not, they're looking down at their shoes or shaking their heads kind of sadly. The point is that life sometimes plays out like the twisted storyline of a demented child god with a fetish for mild sadism. But that kind of full-on lamenting isn't very well suited to the stiff upper lips that are all the rage these days. So the shaking of heads and the looking at shoes and the grim assurances that it's all in good fun, isn't it, Lord, continue. At quarter to nine in the morning, the day after a long stakeout, I'm rarely at my most fashionable, lips or otherwise, so I didn't bother to restrain the sea shanty of curses that sprang from deep within when I saw a letter in the basket bearing Mordecai Brousseau's return address. Mordecai had employed the agency three times since Blackjack and I cemented our partnership, and every time we swore it would be the last. I cracked the envelope and read the letter with great expectation of a shiny new pain in the neck, courtesy of Monsieur Brousseau. The news was not at all what I had expected. But I guess that's what they mean when they say fate's a funny thing. I couldn't wait for old Squarejaw to get a load of this. Hey there, Trix. What's the good word? Mordecai Brousseau. Okay. Okay. I'm going out and coming in again. And you're going to say any other two words to me. Understand? Understood. Good. Morning, Trixie. Mordecai Brousseau. Why do you torment me? You have to ask. It's too early for this. It's 10.45, Bright Eyes. It's too Monday for this. It's Wednesday. Exactly. Mordecai Brousseau. No. No. I don't care. I don't care. We couldn't walk Mordecai Brousseau's dog without winding up in the hospital. We couldn't mow Mordecai Brousseau's lawn without getting slapped for contempt of court. He's a nice enough man, but he's a jinx. A jinx, I'm telling you. I agree. Good. Mordecai Brousseau. No! I refuse. I don't care how badly we need the case. We said it before, and by Jiminy, this time I'm making it stick. The agency has done its last day's work for Mordecai Brousseau. Ever. Fini. I agree. You do? Yes. Good. Mordecai Brousseau... Stop doing that! Let me finish. Fine. Mordecai Brousseau... Is... Dead. Oh. I see. Good. Good? Sorry, Mordecai. Rest in peace and all that. No disrespect to the dead, but still. Still? If the only way he was going to stop showing up on our doorstep with another tangled web to dump in our laps is to shuffle off this mortal coil, then I say, good. Little early in the day to be mixing your Shakespeare like that, isn't it? How did you know? Mrs. McKinney, my high school English teacher. Told you Mordecai was dead? Yes, Jack. My high school English teacher rose from her grave, stopped by the office, and told me Mordecai Brousseau had joined her bridge league. I'm going to go out and come in again. Pull yourself together. We got a letter from his estate. Whose estate? Mordecai's. We've been invited to the reading of the will. The will? The will. You know, I always liked poor old Mordecai. The first time I met Mordecai Brousseau, I wound up in traction. Believe it or not, it was my fondest memory of the guy. He was a nice enough fella, I suppose. If you're the sort of masochist that forms lasting friendships with a perennially cursed, that's a P.I.'s lot in life. Folks don't often come to you for help because they're the sort of person everything works out for. 
The guy beside Mr. Lucky. The one with the little rain cloud over his head. The one who's spilling salt, walking under a ladder as a black cat crosses his path. That's your client. And as hard as you try to take charge of the situation, to make your luck his luck, well, the fact remains that you're a flatfoot with one decent suit, slightly higher on the social strata than a peeping Tom, with nobody at home to care if you walk through the door at the end of the day or not. Fact of the matter is, a detective's not the luckiest guy in the world at the best of times. But somehow, with Mordecai around, you always felt that much more keenly. He was a decent client, didn't lie to you much, paid his bills on time, never squawked about expenses that didn't deserve it. But every moment you spent with him increased your chances of getting your shirt tails caught in the karmic wheel and mutilated in the gears of the cosmos. And he knew it. Maybe putting Trixie and I in his will was the little guy's way of balancing things out. I didn't know for sure, but as we rounded the corner in my old heap and saw the Brasseau home at the top of the hill, surrounded by oak trees older than Methuselah, I knew that whatever it was, it was something good. Mr. Justice? Miss Dixon? Guilty as charged, Mr... A Riordan. David Riordan. I'm Mr. Brasseau's attorney. Good to know you. If you'll just step this way, most of the others are here already. Others? The other heirs. Then Miss Dixon and I are in the will. I think you'll find her mentioned quite prominently, yes. This way. I don't like the sound of that. You're being paranoid. You always say that. It's always true. Yeah, well, I'm not dead yet, am I? Yeah, I might want a second opinion on that. <laughs> not much of a crowd. How many were you expecting? I don't know. No one ever left me anything before. I'll get us a program. Psst. Mr. Riordan. Excuse me? Satisfy my womanly curiosity, would you? I, uh, I, uh, Trixie, don't play with your food. Who are the others? What? Oh! Oh! Uh, allow me to introduce you. Uh, Mrs. Brasseau? Uh, uh, Mrs. Rachel Brasseau, this is Mr. Justice and Miss Dixon. We're very sorry for your loss. What? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what you're doing here. Neither do we, exactly. Except that we were asked to come. Uh-huh. I don't know who he thinks he is, leaving things all over town. I'm the widow, ain't I? Mrs. Brousseau. Yeah? What of it? You're a good deal younger than Mordecai was. What if I am? Who's going to make something of it? You? Please forgive my stepmother. What she lacks in refinement, she makes up for in vulgarity. Stuff a sock in it, Junior. You see what I mean? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Mr. Brousseau's son, Alex. My condolences. Indeed. You were friends of father's? Something like that. Something like that. I see. It's curious, because he never mentioned you, not once. How often did you speak to him, Alex? And when you did, it was only to ask for money. And the cold front of self-righteousness moving in must mean little sister Jennifer has arrived from the airport. Jenny, good to see you. I'm terribly sorry for your loss. Thank you, David. And thank you for all you've done in the last few days. If I have been of any comfort, I'm truly glad. Yes, David, old boy. The way you cooked up two phony heirs to siphon off more of dear old Dad's estate was very comforting. Mr. Justice and Miss Dixon's part in the proceedings are very well documented, Alex. I'm sure you'll be completely satisfied with that. I doubt that very much. Ah, but it's true. And if you'll all just take a seat, I'm sure I can satisfy you of that. You see, Mr. Brousseau anticipated some resistance to his wishes, so he took the added precaution of recording his voice, especially for this occasion, on this machine, which I shall now play if you're all quite comfortable. 
This is ridiculous. And more than a little distasteful. Nevertheless, it is all perfectly legal, I assure you. Mr. Brousseau's wishes are all documented properly. He simply wanted to read them himself. If you'll all just bear with me while I play this record... Good day, one and all. Father! Shh, Jenny. I, Mordecai Brassoul, being of sound mind and... Oh, for heaven's sake, David, I don't have to read all this part, do I? All right, then. You all know each other, or at least most of you do. For better or worse, you're my family, and more of it was worse than better. But it's over now. Or at least it nearly is. What is that supposed to mean? If all went according to plan, there should be two strangers sitting amongst you. Hello, Jack. Hello, Trixie. I know I've been more trouble to you than I'm worth, but I've got one final favor to ask of you. Oh, no. One final job, you might say. Son of a... The bulk of my estate will be divided among these three specimens you see here. My son, my daughter, and my wife. Minus a small honorarium to my lawyer, David Reardon, and the sum of $5,000. That has been set aside. David has it now. I hope you'll accept it as a retainer. I have no reason to expect you to agree, but I hope you'll grant me this one last wish. I don't want any of my estate to go to someone responsible for my death. What? Please, Jack, Trixie, take this one last job. Find out who murdered me. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. It was a masterstroke. Mordecai Brousseau's life had been a unique combination of good fortune and rotten luck. The kind of money he was born into should have been enough to keep anyone happy. But it doesn't work that way, and it never has. It's the source of all those news stories about ex-millionaires living in tumble-down shacks, movie stars with nothing left but a lifestyle. However much money there is, it always smells like more. And there's always a wolf at the door ready to exploit that. Mordecai had been a sucker most of his life. It's tough to feel sorry for guys like that. But if he was right, if someone in his own family had finally got tired of waiting for nature to take its course and elected to loosen up the purse strings prematurely, well, we couldn't let that go. And that was Mordecai's final masterstroke. He had cheated death in a way. He had us on the hook one last time. Mordecai wasn't a young man. Wasn't an old man either, but his death hadn't shocked anyone. An autopsy was only performed because the will demanded it. It was either open him up, or the entire estate went to a children's hospital. She couldn't have that naturally, so the widow Brousseau had agreed. They found high concentrations of arsenic in his body, as if he'd been dosed slowly, murdered bit by bit over the course of a year or more. That could only mean one thing. Someone very close to our boy Mordecai had to have done him in. The snobby, petulant son Alexander... The dour daughter, Jennifer. The sour, gold-digging third wife, Rachel. Mordecai and his young lawyer, Riordan, had all the suspects gathered in the library waiting for us. Too bad we didn't have the first idea what to do with them. Much too bad. There were five Gs on the line. Jack whistled a happy tune quietly. I dug my nails into the palm of my hand. The happy tune only came out when we were in big trouble and he knew it. Are you ready for Mrs. Brasseau, Mr. Justice? Ready when you are, David. This is ridiculous. I don't have to talk to you. That's true. You're not cops. No, we're not. 
The cops, they ain't even investigating this as murder. Nope, not yet. So call me when they are. Sure thing, kitten. Trixie, cross Mrs. Brosseau off the list of heirs. Sure, Jack. The list of heirs? You mean the list of suspects. I mean what I say I mean. You saw the will, Mrs. Brosseau. Miss Dixon and I are to investigate the death of your husband and ensure those responsible don't inherit. We don't have to prove it in court. Ask Mr. Riordan if you don't believe me. David! Those were the terms of your late husband's will, Mrs. Brosseau. Well, that's... He... You can't do this! I can and I will, sister. You're such an obvious candidate, I'd wrap this up right now if Mordecai's kids didn't smell almost as guilty. What do you mean? Come on. You're no beauty angel, but you're not that bad. What's more, you're 30 years his junior if a day. I know what you think. What they all think. That I was only after his money. It's true, isn't it? You think I'd marry him if I didn't care about him? You tell me. But before you go on about his winning personality, keep in mind I met the man more than once. You're telling me you'd have married him if he wasn't rich? No, Mr. Justice. I don't suppose I would. Mordecai was fun, sure. He wasn't much to look at, but he knew how to treat a lady. It's not like he didn't try and impress me with money, with things. He used them to sweep me off my feet. And from the moment I was swept, he could never get it out of his mind that I only loved his money. As if he'd ever given me anything else. Sure, I married him because he was rich. I guess that makes me a bad person. Worse than if I'd married him because he was tall or handsome or funny. He wasn't any of those things. But that doesn't mean I didn't love him. And it sure doesn't mean I killed him. You agree that you'd had plenty of opportunity. You were with him the most, yes? Sure, I was around. Except in the spring. What's that? The spring. My mother always wanted to go to Paris. Mordecai let me take her there in the spring. How long were you there? Ten weeks, maybe a little more. Thank you, Mrs. Brousseau. You can wait outside. Bring in the sun, would you, David? Right away. Well, Sherlock? He gets poisoned for eight months, gets a two and a half month break, and dies two months later. I don't like it. You want to take the next shift? Alex won't like that much. <laughs> That's what I'm counting on. All right, Flatfoot. Let me start by saying I'm not taking any of the cock and bull story you used on my so-called stepmother. Shut up. How dare you? Listen to me, you pathetic worm. You can puff up your little concave chest as brave as you like. I can't even begin to count the number of ways I'm completely unimpressed by you. So shut it before I shut it for you. I never... I'm not surprised. You made it perfectly clear from the moment we walked in here that you didn't much care for your father one way or another. But somehow we're supposed to think you wouldn't dirty your hands with his murder? I couldn't possibly... I'm not sure you've got the brains for it or the patience. But you're exactly the kind of craven little sissy coward that would use poison. So you'd be better off saving your breath to convince me that you didn't, since I already know that you could. Riordan here said that the poison had been given to dear old dad over a long period of time. So? So little sister wasn't all that far off when she said I only talked to dad when I needed something from him. It was often enough to cover my gambling debts, but not often enough for a long, slow poisoning. This is your defense? You're too lousy a son to have killed your father? You might have to do a little better than that. I don't think so. There were plenty of times when I was flush enough not to come around for months on end. I have witnesses. If you disqualify me from the will, I'll overturn it in court. You don't even care that he's dead, do you? He got a better son than he was a father. He never wanted me to go without, indulged my 
every whim. It got so the only way I could get his attention was to need something more. At first the attention mattered most, but by the time I was twelve I could take it or leave it, as long as the goodies kept coming. At any rate, I've put up with enough of this. I'll be in the kitchen. Call me when you geniuses have come to your conclusions. I could use a good laugh. One more, David. Yes, sir. That didn't go that well. It went. That's what matters. Jennifer Brousseau? You know it is. You just came in from the airport. That's right. I was in Rome. You made it back for the reading of the will, but not your father's funeral? There were a number of things to wrap up. I'd been away for two months. So, you see, I couldn't have poisoned father. Is that the only reason? I doubt he would have considered me much of a threat. He never took anything I did very seriously. Why? What do you do? That he should have taken more seriously, I mean. It wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't understand. So, you don't do anything and it's all your father's fault. Yes? Now, see here, Mr. Justice. You're here as a courtesy, Riordan. Keep out of this. I just don't see that badgering a sensitive girl like Jenny... Is exactly what our mutual client asked us to do, and you to arrange. I don't think... I'm not asking what you think. Sit down. I told you, Mr. Justice. I've been out of the country for two months, so I couldn't possibly have murdered father. May I leave now? For the moment, go round up the others and wait in the library. Just a minute, Mr. Riordan. I know what you're going to ask, Mr. Justice. It's an impossible situation. Mr. Brousseau didn't seem to consider you a suspect. I wonder why that is. Mr. Justice! As close as I was to the family, Mr. Brousseau told me he knew I couldn't be involved in the poisoning. I only saw him once every two weeks at the most. Now, if you'll excuse me... Well? None of them could have done it alone, could they? The wife and the girl could have spelled off for each other. The dates work out... If we're constructing conspiracy theories, I'd like to work Alex in there somewhere. You really think those three could work together on an elaborate murder plot? They hate each other more than any of them hated Mordecai. Besides, what's the motive? It's true. The only thing they had to gain was money, and Mordecai gave them all they could waste. Besides, any one of those vultures would have tried to work in a frame to disinherit the others and walk off with everything. What about the lawyer, Riordan? He's obviously in love with Jennifer. And she obviously doesn't care one way or the other. Besides... Being her father's lawyer was his only link to her. Now that's gone. How does that help him? No one of them could have done it. They wouldn't do it together. None of them stand to gain anything except the death of a poor schlub who they blame for their problems. Makes me actually feel sorry for Mordecai. Seems like he did just about everything wrong, but without malice. Whatever he did, it only seemed to drive them away. In the end, he had nobody but himself. Jack, that's it. What? Who was the only person with enough access to Mordecai to poison him slowly for months on end? Who? Mordecai. Wait, let me finish. If someone pulled off a slow poisoning like that, there'd be no reason for Mordecai to suspect he'd been murdered. How else would he have known he'd been poisoned, and by something that his lawyer couldn't have dosed him with because he didn't see him often enough? Unless he could attend his own autopsy, he couldn't know unless he'd done it himself. And maybe he brought us in to question his family, show them really make them see how they treated him. It's pathetic. It's self-destructive and needy. It's Mordecai. What do we do? We give him what he wanted. A show. We gather everyone together, show them why we think they're capable of murder, then we eliminate them one by one. But we try and give them something to think about. Maybe one of them, just one of them, realizes it's not very nice, I guess. 
but neither are they. Relax, Trix. You sold me. Let's go. And that was just what we did. I hope that wherever he was, it gave Mordecai Brousseau some sense of satisfaction. He'd used his money to try and buy love, and when it all failed on a grand scale, he used $5,000 to buy himself a good scare for those he'd never connected with. It would keep the wolf from the door for a good while, but I couldn't shake the feeling that by seeing things through, we were somehow endorsing what Mordecai had done. Jack said later that he'd rather have been back in traction. I was inclined to believe he was right. And so the last case Mordecai Brousseau would ever tangle us up in, the one he'd meant to be an easy job to make up for the trouble he'd given us over the years. Well, in a way, it ended up being the worst one of them all. But like they say, fate is a funny thing, fate is. Blackjack Justice, Episode 7, Justice Be Done, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices provided by Gregory Cook, Shannon Arnold, Clarissa Denetterlanden, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hi, we're your good friends at the Internal Revenue Service with some exciting news. You just may get audited this year. (laughs) But I know what you're thinking. Gee, I want to make sure I get every nickel possible squeezed out of me during this audit. But who'll take care of my kids? Why, the IRS daycare. Yes, during your grueling ordeal, your kids will be in this spacious room where they can play without care. Hello, little boy. What's your name? Tommy. My, you brought a lot of toys with you. Yeah, this jet plane's my favorite. Too bad, because it's ours now. Hey, what? And we'll take this ball, this car, and this Nintendo DS. Those are my toys. Daddy gave them to me. Oh, in that case, we should estimate how many toys he'll give you next year and take this and this and this and this. You didn't leave me anything. Have fun, Tommy. Sir, we've got a problem in the corner. That big kid is knocking the little kids down and taking everything they have. I'll take care of this. You, you there. Yes, you the bully. You have quite the future working for the IRS. (laughs) The IRS daycare. It's about time your kids learned about real life.